Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 776th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. And the message for many of these creatures, because the tick is related to the deer and all kinds of things, is that we have to keep everything in balance. And when we keep everything in balance, nature takes care of it. So that's our job is to learn how to keep everything in balance because that's what they're doing too. Today on our podcast, we have someone who shares her enlightening conversations with the living world around us. We're talking with Maria Rodale about love, nature, and magic. Maria calls herself an explorer in search of the mysteries of the universe. She is the author of Love, Nature, Magic, Shamanic Journeys into the Heart of My Garden, as well as Organic Manifesto and Scratch. And she writes children's books under the name of Mrs. Pinochle. She serves on the board of Rodale Institute and is a former co-chair. Throughout her life, she has advocated for the potential of organic regenerative farming to both heal the damage wrought by pesticides, industrial agricultural practices, and their toxic impacts on human and planetary health all to help in the reversing of climate change. She was featured in the documentary, Kiss the Ground. Welcome to the show today, Maria. Are you ready to rock? I'm always ready to rock. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? It's a long and winding path, so I'll try to make it as speedy as possible. I grew up on the first official organic farm in America. My grandfather was J.I. Rodell, who launched Organic Gardening Magazine in 1942. Wow. Uh, I was born in 1962. So, so I became a gardener from a young age. I helped on the farm. I helped in the gardens. And it was my true creative passion was creating both landscapes and things to eat from nature. And uh, over the course of my life, of course, things go in different directions. I ended up becoming a business person and took over the family business until we sold it about five years ago. But that whole time I had my secret passion was like learning about the universe and what from science to spirituality to mysticism And about 10 years ago, I started shamanic journeying, which is a indigenous form of meditative travel to other realms without drugs. There's no drugs involved. This is just with the rhythmic sound of a drum or a rattle. And I used it to figure out business problems or relationship problems or just, oh, I wonder what I'll learn today. And then what happened is during the pandemic, I was trying my hardest to eradicate a weed called mugwort, which Mm. is an invasive weed. And I felt mugwort trying to get my attention. And I was like, oh, I wonder what mugwort would say if I went to journey to mugwort. And that's what got me started on writing Love Nature Magic, is what I found out when I started actually traveling to speak to the nature beings, especially the annoying and pesky ones. <laughs> <laughs> like mosquitoes and ticks and mugwort. Yes, yes. What is that process 
feel like to connect with, let's say, just mugwort? First of all, it only takes about 20 minutes. So it's not a long, drawn-out process. But Mm -hmm. you you have to create the space to have quiet and be uninterrupted. And what I talk about in the book is opening sacred space so you're protected. It's like creating a, a shield from any negativity. But I will say in every single journey I did, and I did about 25 that ended up in the book, what I learned from each, I call them nature beings because there's so many of them, completely different than what I expected to learn. Like I would go in thinking, oh, this is what something's going to say. I just, because I know what this thing is going to say. And then I was <laughs> completely shocked and surprised. So it was quite fun and humbling. How did you come to this? Discovering that you could actually communicate with, with their beings, whether they're plant beings or bug beings. How did that happen? Like I said, when you journey which again is indigenous to cultures all over the world. This is Siberian, Native American, South American, Australian, African. Nature starts to express itself. But when I was doing these journeys to begin with, I was actually working with a shaman because it was during the pandemic. She would have like sessions that we did by Zoom to kill time. <laughs> And she'd be like, well, you can talk to them. And it's like, really? So the first couple of journeys I did, I was just like listening. And then I would, then I learned I could start asking questions and then it became really interesting. So I don't know. You have to read the book to get the full details. All right. Perfect. And what does Mugwort say? Mugwort said, why are you always trying to kill me? Did you ever think about asking nicely? And then she said, because it was a she, mm-hmm. no, you're never going to get rid of us because plants rule the world. And when I thought about that, both in the journey and after the journey, I was like, she's absolutely right. There's no way we can eradicate a plant that we don't like. And in fact, what we find scientifically is sometimes the more we try to eradicate something, the stronger it gets. <laughs> yeah, the more we fight it, the harder right. it gets to get rid of it. There, there was a book I read once about, I think it was, what's called The World Without Us. Oh, yes. Places like Chernobyl, when the people leave, it's a plants take over and they're just fine. They're happy as happy as can be. So it really changed how I interacted with my garden in terms of realizing that the whole metaphor of fighting weeds or fighting pests was just never, ever going to work and a waste of time, actually, a waste of good, a good life. (laughs) Yeah. And I've found that we need to discover the good in whatever that is that's pestering us. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of input from people in our seminars, webinars, and via email I got such and such, how do I kill it? And my first question for them is, what's it doing? And that's that was the other thing that happened is the actual journey to Mugwort was very brief. But once I opened that door, I started getting all these clues and messages from movies I was watching or books I was reading. And I learned that Mugwort is actually an incredibly sacred plant. 
incredibly sacred to the Koreans. It's like the foundational plant of Korea to the Native Americans use it to smudge. I'm from Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania Dutch heritage. It's one of the most sacred plants to the Pennsylvania Dutch. Again, I was humbled by here. I was just trying to kill this thing and I didn't know anything about it. Don't you know who I am? (laughs) I always encourage people to discover what the problem is before you actually think about eliminating something. And the other thing I've found is that probably 90 plus percent of that stuff going on in our heads about, oh my gosh, that ant is bad. Mm-hmm. It's just in our heads. Just in our heads. But it's also, it's in our culture. It's, the culture is in our heads. The culture of fear, be afraid of something. I wrote about the connection between like anti-immigration and invasive species and how it's very connected. And even just how we view our landscapes as needing to be tidy is a certain form of culture that's in our heads. It doesn't need to exist. Right. We can change the culture and we can change our heads, but we have to change our hearts. Yeah. Shift our heart thinking. Mm-hmm. That's an oxymoron, but if you think about it, you can get it. Yeah. Change, our, change our heart thinking about this stuff. Well, so so I have a, a very interesting um, relationship with ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought, I got bit by a tick long, long ago in Arizona, twenty five mm-hmm. years ago, and contracted uh, Lyme disease, which wasn't diagnosed until two thousand fourteen. And I've recently moved from Phoenix, Arizona, where ticks virtually don't exist, to Asheville, North Carolina, which I've been finding them. Mm-hmm. So I notice my first reaction when I think of ticks is because yeah. of the impact they've had on my life. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in your book, you talked to the ticks. What might they be sharing with us? So I was a little nervous about going to talk to ticks. <laughs> and I'll say it wasn't one of my favorite journeys. But what I learned is that they, first of all, they're like lonely little sad little creatures. They're born, they never know their parents. When they attach to us or an animal, they're looking for that warm sense of feeding and love. And so they're just fulfilling their destiny. And then they become food for other things like possums and birds and other small animals. And, but their message to me was to really, to, to groom, groom yourself and groom each other, check your body. And they showed me an image of two monkeys together picking through each other. And it's, it's, a, it's a form of self-care to groom yourself. And how many of us actually really do stand naked in front of a mirror and look at our bodies? And ironically, just two days ago, I had been working in the garden all day and I did find a tick crawling up my arm. And, and then I was like, oh, I better go check myself. And I saw a tick had not only embedded in my back, but embedded in a place like I couldn't reach. Mm. I live alone. So I still get really upset at ticks, but I also, I realize they're not trying to hurt us. They're just doing, living their life. And the message for many of these creatures, because the tick is related to the deer and all kinds of things, is that we have to keep everything in balance. And when we keep everything in balance, nature takes care of it and... So that's our job is to learn how to keep everything in balance because that's what they're doing too. 
Yeah. And a, a big part of your journey is around regenerative agriculture. That's really about keeping things in balance, is it not? Yeah. And also this idea that we don't have to just feed the world now, each year, like by growing, 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 but we have to feed the world for forever. We have to take a long-term approach of how can we actually improve the soil and improve our environment rather than just take and consume and get the highest profit margin on whatever. And it's a a very long-term, in fact, indigenous way of thinking about the earth. Yeah. And it's up to us to figure it out and change our ways before it's too late. So a while back, you wrote a book called Organic Manifesto. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what inspired you to write that book? So I am third generation in the Rodale family business of organic and health. But what people think about someone like me in a third generation is that we know everything our parents know and our grandparents know, that we should just know it. And I realized I didn't know a lot of things. There was a lot I didn't understand. And at the time I wrote it, the big debate in the whole organic movement was organic versus local. Local is more important than organic. And it was like frustrating to me because it was just this stupid argument. <laughs> right? Was I was stupid. thinking that back then too. It's So I actually started the book to try to answer that question. What's better, local or organic? And and the more I researched, and there's 187 footnotes in that book. So it's all oh, wow. you know, it's all fact-checked and researched. The more I was like stunned by what I learned and the whole story of why we do things and actually how oh, disconnected we are, not just from nature, but from common knowledge, economics, like this farmers are told they have to feed the world. They have to grow more and more, but economics is the more you grow, the lower the price you're going to get for it because that's commodities. I was a business person. So I understood that. And so then you had farmers who were losing money because they weren't getting the money and going out of business because people weren't buying their food because it was so toxic. So that's the whole dairy industry fell through the floor and so I just, I was just trying to put all the pieces together, solve the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> Somebody could read it and go, okay, now I understand the whole picture because it, you can't understand it when you're just looking at a tiny piece. And so many of the messages we get from in the media and from advertisers are messages designed to confuse us so that we just like, go, oh, it's too confusing. I'm just going to eat whatever. And then we get sick and then we wonder why. And that's a big deep breath because there's yeah. so much of that out there. Yeah. So tell me about Mrs. Pinochle. Well, Mrs. Pinochle has been a secret for many years, but I reveal her in Love Nature Magic because I'd always wanted to be a children's book author and actually illustrator, but I didn't do the illustrations for these. And then the longer I was CEO of Rodale and we published books and magazines, I realized Mm -hmm. by the time somebody's an adult, they're set in their ways and it's really hard to change their behaviors. But if we can get them when they're early (laughs) and make it fun, and especially at the age when a parent is reading to the child, so the parent learns things too, maybe there's hope. So I created these alphabet books that have fun educational facts in them, goofy fun facts. um, So they're not preachy. And, and I didn't want to use my name because 
I didn't want people to accuse me of like vanity publishing or nepotism. And I did a shamanic journey. And I actually did a shamanic journey even before I launched these books. And the message I got was you should write children's books and you should use the name Mrs. Pinochle. <laughs> <laughs> and it like, it made me laugh. I thought that's so funny. I love that name. And on a lark, I was just like, okay, my name's Mrs. Pinochle. And the books have done so well, and I've never done any promotion for them, which for an author, that's like a dream come true. Oh, big time. <laughs> so when we sold the company, Penguin Random House bought Rodell Kids, and they called me and they're like, who is this Mrs. Pinochle? Because we want more of her books. <laughs> so I've written 10 of them now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And more are on the way. Nice. Yeah. When I used to do uh, tours of my urban farm in Phoenix, I lived at a proper, a third of an acre right in the middle of Phoenix and we did open it up multiple times a year. My favorite times were when the kids arrived. Right. Because they get it. They get it. And they're so curious and interested and they're not afraid usually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In your process of writing the new book and your shamanic journeying, and then putting it out to the world. Has there been a moment where you were interacting with somebody or you shared and what came up for you was, oh my gosh, this is the reason I'm doing this. That happens all the time to me. That's the magic part of love. Is like when you're doing what I, you know, call your soul's work or your heart work, the universe responds by reinforcing that and drawing people to you that are either exactly what you needed to know at the time, or you're exactly what they needed to know at the time. And so that's the magical reinforcement that happens when you're on the right path, I think. And that's where we need to start listening. Mm -hmm. It would be valuable, maybe not need to, but it would, that's where it's valuable to start listening. When Mugwort says, hello, are you there? Or when somebody approaches you and says, oh my gosh, that book that you wrote, it changed my life. Yeah. A lot of times we are operating on a kind of a, a strange faith and a faith in ourselves to do, to write the book, to, to publish the book to, and, or to talk to Mugwort. I could have just gone on hacking away at Mugwort and my whole life would have been different and not better. Yeah. <laughs> not- yeah, that listening is key. That's a key part of, of the shamanic approach to things is really paying attention and listening. Shamanism is not a religion, by the way. It's You can be any religion, any culture and do shamanic journeying or work with shamans. It's a practice. It's not a religion. Excellent. I, like you, have been gardening and studying nature since I was a kid. I uh, planted my first garden and we moved into a house and my mom says, see the right back half of the backyard, Greg, that's your garden, go start digging. (laughs) And in 1981, I actually was on the board. I was what, 21 or so then I was on the board of the Arizona Aquaculture Association. And we went and visited a fish farm in Arizona. And what I discovered was that they were, Harvesting the fish, cutting them up, and throwing away everything but the meat. And it just, it, it baffled me. It totally baffled me. And fast forward 10 years, I land in a permaculture design course. 
and I'm studying permaculture and I discovered this thing called regenerative. And it's like, for me, it was like, wow, there's actually something I can call the way that I think. Right. And so I'm sure there's a huge nature thread in this that we might call permaculture. Is there not? Yeah. Permaculture to me is one piece, an important piece. So to me, organic gardening and farming tends to be focused on like the food, growing the food. That's all that matters. doesn't matter how it looks or where it is, just growing the food. Permaculture says, no, you're growing an environment. Let's look at the whole environment, the landscape, the inputs and outputs, the whole, how everything works together. And then to me, regenerative is those two things together, plus like a commitment to constant improvement, (laughs) constant improvement. Yeah. And I personally, my passion is more landscaping than growing food. I love to grow food. I do, but like my passion is landscaping. So permaculture was a real appeal to me. Yeah. It, it really called to me big time. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Tell us the name of your book and where we can find it. The name of my book is Love Nature Magic, Shamanic Journeys into the Heart of My Garden. And you can find it on Amazon or ask for it at your local bookstore. And you can find me at mariarodell.com or on Instagram or Twitter. Excellent. Excellent. And what are the couple of the titles of the Mrs. Pinochle books? The most recent one is Earth Alphabet. An ocean alphabet comes out in May, but I have a bug alphabet. My bestseller is bug alphabet, which is really fun for kids to learn about bugs. There's a fruit alphabet, vegetable alphabet, birds, trees. Wow. Yeah. It's all about nature. Kitchen. Yeah. and hiking. Nice. All right. Cool. And then there's the organic manifesto. What from about six, seven years ago? It's about 11 years ago now. Oh my gosh, time flies. Awesome. Thank you so much for writing those. This is impactful work you're doing and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. I'm assuming you're asking about gardening. So I I have a garden failure for you. Perfect. Carrots. I cannot grow carrots for the life of me. Like I try all different ways. And for some reason, they're just not amenable to growing for me. So the way I've gotten around that is just buying them in the store. I have the same challenge with watermelons, believe it or not. And I love watermelons, but in Phoenix, I couldn't for the life of me grow them. Yep. So there you go. And what do you consider your biggest success? Again, in gardening, my biggest success, which I'm very excited about, is growing chickpeas, which I didn't even think you could grow. I I don't know. I didn't know where they were grown or um, where they came from. And actually, I was in Canada uh, many years ago, and I learned a lot of chickpeas are grown in Canada. And I was like, well, they grow in Canada. Then I grow them in Pennsylvania. And which I didn't really pursue until I had this dish. One of the things I love to do is like when I eat something that I love, like, mm-hmm. okay, how, how can I replicate this at home? And I had a green 
chickpea hummus at a restaurant that I was like, this is good. But where do you get green chickpeas? And I couldn't find them anywhere. Last year, I did a trial plot in my garden of chickpeas. And I only got maybe enough for two meals, but they were so delicious because you pick them before they're dried. Then you just boil them and put a little bit of olive oil and salt and it's delicious. And so this year I have a whole bed of chickpeas and they're coming up like gangbusters. So I'm very, I feel very proud of my success there. (laughs) Wow. Nice. Well, and it's always interesting discovering new things to grow. Right. As longtime gardeners, we don't just know how to grow stuff. We actually have to jump in and explore and grow it. The constant learning process, which is fun. That's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast as well, is I get to meet cool people and I learn stuff every time I do them. My new grow this year is potatoes. Growing potatoes in the desert in Phoenix, where I'm from, was virtually impossible. And apparently they grow really well here. So I got them in the ground. Awesome. I love to grow potatoes. I, I love to grow like blue potatoes because to me, they taste so good and yep. hard to get in the stores. Yeah, exactly. What drives you? What's your big why? Curiosity. Curiosity is just, I'm like annoyingly insatiable to, to either learn new things or figure out why, or I just want to know. That's what drives me. And keeps me driving when I'm on a road trip. It's, I wonder what's around that bend. Or I wonder what's, where this road will go. <laughs> yeah. And if you could, oh, this is going to be an interesting question for you. If you could uh, recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I'm going to recommend the book that got me into shamanism in a kind of a side door. But it's a book that like gardeners, I think, would love. And it's called Nature Speak by Ted Andrews. So there's nature speak and animal speak. And he was a Native American teacher, but it's, so it's got a lot of like history and mystical shamanic things, but then there's a dictionary of different plants and what they mean and what their history is and what they mean spiritually. What's the spiritual significance? If this plant shows up in your life, what is it trying to tell you or how the Native Americans used it for different healing techniques? So it's a global perspective. And it's a kind of a bit of a homespun book. If you go on Amazon, it's like a massive bestseller because it's just people love, it's it's so useful. And and you learn so much from it. Mm -hmm. And so the Ted Andrews nature speak and animal speak, because animal speak does the animals. If you have a squirrel that's bothering you or, or an ant, what is it trying to tell you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to push you a little farther. You got a second book. I'm going to put you on the spot. If you came to my house, you would see, I have a library of a, probably about 5,000 books. I'm a big reader of a very wide variety of books. I am going to say the other book that changed my life was reading the Oxford annotated version of the Bible, Old and New Testament, like from beginning to end with footnotes that put things into historical context. They don't edit it for a religious audience. It's just Mm -hmm. the Bible as it was written 
and it really is eye-opening. Wow. Thank <laughs> you for that. Yeah. I know I put you on the spot, but that, that was a good one. Thank you. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? The main thing I learned from doing all the journeys and writing Love Nature Magic was the concept that fighting is futile. Stop fighting. Just, we need to protect our space. So if you have a problem with rabbits, create a space where rabbits can't go. But don't blame the rabbit. They're just doing what they were born to do. Protect your space. Don't fight. Relax. Have more fun in the garden. I have become a mugwort grower now. It's just, I'm happy when I see mugwort instead of annoyed. And life is better because of it. Just changing your perspective on it. I like that. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Maria. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. You bet. Right back at you. So how can our listeners find you and uh, find your books? They can find um, my books on Amazon or at their local bookstore. Um, And they can find me at mariarodell.com or on Instagram, mariarodell or Twitter. Um, Those are my preferred. Oh, and I also have a Substack newsletter called Life Unfiltered which is a fun project where I just write whatever I feel like. Sometimes it's gardening, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's health and healing. I post a new newsletter once a week or so, and um, you can, it's free or paid, whichever you prefer. Life unfiltered at Substack. And educate me, what is Substack? So Substack is a newsletter platform for writers that enables writers to actually earn money from their writing. And it's, there's no advertising allowed. So it's a lovely place to write and to read. And there's fascinating people who are writing on there. So highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. And your book, Love, Nature, Magic, Shamanic Journeys into the Heart of My Garden. That is by Chelsea Green, our friends over there at Chelsea Green. Thank you for that. And uh, you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Maria Rodale. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.